0: Well, today, I want to look at the love of God. And so, this is just one of those messages that just kind of a foundation stone. And I think it's just a man, it's just, it's always does something in my heart. And I think when people hear the word love or God's love, they, they think of something different than what the Bible talks about. When people, look at how people use the word love I love ice cream. I love my dog. I love the sound of an angry exhaust noise coming from a V8 engine, right? I'll like use it in like whole, like, they use different, you know, I love my wife. They, they put it all kind of in the same category. And if you look at like, the greatest philosophical minds of history, they, they've studied love, they, they've thought about it, and the best they could do is come up with this Greek word eros, which is a human kind of love. So they would look at like, maybe a love between a father and a child, or a mother and a child, or a, you know, I've done lots of weddings, and you look at that pure love between a bride and a bridegroom on that wedding day, and they look and they think, this is, this is the highest form of love, and they think, God's love is like that, but maybe just heat it up a little bit more. But here's what you need to look at. When the Bible came to describe God's kind of love, it came up with a completely different kind of word. It was a word that had hardly been used in history, and so the Bible kind of infuses it with a different kind of meaning. So I want you to get this point: God's kind of love isn't like human love. It's not human love, like heated up to the max, or or like oh, the, the purest form of it. It is in a completely different kind of category. So First John four eight gives us this ultimate definition: God is love. But that that is a nuclear level statement. It doesn't say uh, agape, you know, the the word there is agape. You know, the best the philosophers had was eros kind of love, but the Bible says it's agape. Agape is not an emotion that God has. It's his very nature, okay? Agape is God's eternal choice to say, I'm going to do the highest and best good for my creation, no matter how they treat me. You see how that's different than human kind of love, all right? agape it draws no circles it does there's no big shots there's no nobodies guys love is always turned on full blast to whoever's in front of them do you see this they they even have the kind of they had to come up with a completely kind of different word and so the old testament knowing that this love was so kind of different began to give us these kind of stories how many of you guys remember the story of the prophet hosea Isaiah, he married a girl named Gomer. And I'm like, you should have known things are about to go bad with her name was Gomer. Like on the first I apologize, any Gomers. I'm just kidding. And so, so God's like, I want you to marry this woman named Gomer. And Gomer had adultery in her heart. And so as they get married, things begin to unfold badly. And all of Israel is watching this display as she begins to cheat on him with many different lovers. And she's humiliating, she's embarrassing him, and then she decides to become a prostitute. So she leaves her husband, leaves the prophet, becomes a prostitute, and then one day her pimp gets sick of her and says, um, she's worthless to me, I'm going to sell her on the slavery block. Now you can imagine Jose, he's, he's a prophet of Israel. His wife's not only been cheating on him, now she's, she's a prostitute, now she's being sold as a slave. I'm sure he soaked his pillow with tears many times uh, through those nights. Here's what God says. He says, I want you to go and purchase her and reinstate her as your wife. Here's what he says. Love the woman who has despised you. Seek her highest good. Bring her to your house. Protect her and care for her. Are you guys seeing this? Eros love, human kind of love, it would reject that. It would say, listen, you are fully justified in kicking that person to the curb. Have nothing to do with them. Like, draw some boundaries. Put them out there, right? But agape reaches out to its enemies and seeks their highest good. This is a different kind of love. And so Hosea's unceasing love for, uh, for Gomer became a message to Israel of this is the kind of love that God has. This unceasing love because when we sin, it's like we're committing adultery. We're turning our backs. And we see that God's heart isn't burning up there with anger, ready to lower the boom on us. He seeks our highest good. He says, I'm looking to bring you to myself, to protect you, to nourish you. 1 John 3.1 is speaking of this unique kind of love. It says, behold, that's like... Take a look at this. There's like a shock and awe of this. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. It's like, look at this foreign, like, where did this love come from? Imagine that you're up in the Arctic Circle, and there you are wandering around the tundra. I'm not sure why you'd be up there, but you're wandering around the tundra, and all of a sudden you see a Florida orange tree. You'd be like, what is this thing doing here? This, this doesn't make sense why this would be here. That's what this verse is like. Is that Sandy? Hey, Sandy, how are you doing? Sorry, just hadn't seen you in a while. Sorry, I get distracted easily, all right? Pray for me. And so, uh, boo, Sandy, there you go. So, Who else can I pick on today? Let's get the camera now. But I want you to see, it's like, behold, take a look at this. What is this love? Where did this love come from? There's a shock and awe attached to it. When I speak of God's kind of love, I'm not saying that it's greater than human love. Um, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's anything like human love. It's in a completely different category. It's not like, okay, you've got human love here, and you've got God love here. You know, It's a little bit higher. No, no, no. It's, it's in a whole different realm. There's no comparison. You and I, we have love. Okay, We aren't love. So when we have love, it means I can have a little bit more today, Maybe it cools off a little bit. When this person acts loving towards me, my love heats up a little bit. I'll treat them a little bit better. And when they don't, it cools down a little bit. I might not treat them as good. Uh, Can anyone witness that someone else has done this, not you, right, of course? But here's the thing. God's love cannot heat up anymore, and it does not cool down because he is love. When you're saying your prayers and speaking in tongues and giving in the offering and witnessing to people and reading your Bible, he's not like, that's my kid. I love him so much. You know, put, put your you know, picture on his fridge. No, no. Um, he loves Hitler as much as he loves Billy Graham. He is love. Boy, these are radical statements. Here's what that means. God doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because of who he is. Because he is love. You know what unconditional love means? He loves you regardless of your conditions. But religion doesn't teach you that. It's the opposite of human kind of love. When your teenager comes home from school and says that they have fallen in love, what do they mean? Does it mean that they are walking around with unconditional love, and now they have found someone to pour this love upon, regardless of whether it's reciprocated, regardless of how they're treated, they're just going to found someone. That they, no, no, that's not what they find, I mean. They're not talking about agape. They're talking about this aerosol. It means they have found the ultimate beauty. have found the ultimate hunk. I don't even know what the words are. I'm too old to know what the cool words are for these descriptions now. But when I fell in love with Mary, it wasn't because I was filled up with love, and I now found someone I could eternally pour this up. No, no, no. It wasn't because I am love. It was because she was lovely, is lovely. (laughs) I'm giving her a chance to practice unconditional love here. Do you guys see this? (laughs) It wasn't because of the greatness of me. It was because of the greatness of her. That's what human love is like. It is aroused because of the greatness or the loveliness of the object. Right? I mean, for her, I mean, she was beautiful. She laughed at my jokes and liked karate movies. I found the perfect woman. That was literally my only three categories that I needed right there. So human love depends on the beauty of the beloved. But I want you guys to get this. God loves you with an infinite passion, not because of who you are, not because of how you act, not because of the religious exercises that you perform. He loves you because of who he is. Now, one of the ways that Satan tries to block a revelation of this love, tries to block us from experiencing God kind of love, is through the performance trap. Okay? And so one of the most subtle things he does is making us think that, yeah, yeah, so God loves you you when you got saved and all that stuff, and... But, you know, now, so it's like, yeah, God loves you, but his ongoing favor and affection and pleasure towards you is dependent on your performance, right? We understand, remember um, those old pumps, you had to, like, prime the pump with water, you had to put a little bit of water in there to kind of get it to come out. We feel like we got to prime the pump of God's love. Like, yeah, he's got love, but I've got to do something to get that love to come towards me. I've got to do some kind of good, help some old ladies across the street, give them the offer, whatever might be there. And so I think it's easier for us to believe That you know, it's all God when we get saved. We recognize. Listen, we've blown it. We are sinners. There's nothing we can do in our own strength to please God. We need Jesus, and so I think a lot of us we understand that when we come to God, we're completely dependent upon His grace and His love. But somehow, once we get saved, we have to switch into the performance plan. Yeah, 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 God loves me, but for me to stay in His good side, for me, for me, for Him to answer my prayers, for Him to prosper my finances for him to have pleasure toward me, for him to put his favor upon me, it's going to be dependent on my performance. Guys, that is a religious trap. God is not blessing you on the basis of your performance. He's blessing you on the basis of Jesus's performance. Amen. This is good news. In the natural world, you get what you deserve. Like, your employer isn't like, listen, you're doing a horrible job, but I'm going to put favor upon you. <laughs> like, 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 oh, you know, you're... you're, you're, you're uh, you get judged based on your performance. And if you do well, you get rewarded. If you don't do well, you get another job, right? I mean, that's what it looks like. And so a lot of us, we read this into our relationship with God that, you know, if I'm doing well, then He will reward me. If I'm doing well, whatever well is, here's what well is biblically you better be perfect. If you're gonna go, if you're gonna try to have God reward you based on your performance, the standard is perfection. Uh, over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, you don't even know them, so you're not even obeying them all. Or you can go with the grace plan and say that I'm going to be rewarded based on Jesus' performance. I'm pushing my chips to the center of the table. I'm betting it all on what Jesus did is enough. I'm trusting in his work. And then God is now rewarding you based on Jesus' performance. This is good news. I've had many married couples come up and basically they're telling me, my spouse does not deserve my love. Okay, Here's the the nearly too good to be true news of the gospel is we don't get what we deserve. I mean, if you're looking at it from a human perspective, we do not deserve God's love. There's no one up there, no one in heaven where God's like, man, I got such a good deal when I got you. And it's like, no, no, we all were a mess, and his love is transforming us. Thank goodness. The church is the only organization where we're all saying, listen, we are all in process, and it's okay. This is why it's so amazing to me when people uh, leave churches because they get hurt by other people. It's like, um, what? It's like, I want grace extended towards me, but if you do something wrong, I'm not going to extend grace towards you. How are we doing? Those are other churches, I'm sure. Not this one, because they already left. All right, so then um, God's, (laughs) God's love for us is unconditional, which means he loves you regardless of your condition. But religion has this thing that promotes this conditional love of God approach. You know, as long as you're keeping these conditions, as long as you're behaving, as long as you're not sinning, as long as you're not looking at pornography, as long as you're not doing these things, then God's affection is towards you and his heart is warm towards you. No, his heart is warm towards you because he puts you into his son. You've been united with his son and now he delights to treat you as you as if you were Jesus himself. And if you are outside the kingdom, his heart is towards you, and he's removed all the obstacles. That doesn't mean you're going to get to enjoy all the blessings of God and, and the relationship with him, but all the obstacles between you and God have been removed. So now he has goodness, and he's waiting for. He's basically chasing after you. You're running away, and repentance is stopping and say, Oh, I don't have to do it on my own. I'm trusting in what Jesus has done, and you have an encounter with his love. There's a disease in the church that Andrew Walmart calls spiritual dyslexia. So dyslexia is when you would read the word dog as God or God as dog. How many you know there's a big difference unless you're a Hindu? And so, um, <laughs> terrible joke, terrible joke. So spiritual dyslexia, <laughs> I just came up with that one. All right, so spiritual dyslexia it has a similar thing on people. Is they're, really, they're literally reading a Bible passage and getting the exact opposite backwards meaning of it. So let me give you an example from 1 John 2, 3, and 4. Here's how we can be sure we've truly come to know God. If we keep his commands, if someone claims I've come to know God by experience, yet doesn't keep God's commands, he is a phony and the truth finds no place in him. So a spiritually dyslexic Christian reads this and says, I want to know God, so I must keep his commandments. I don't know how many times I heard the message growing up that, you know, if you, you know, if you want God to use you, you need to be holy. Not because holiness is a good idea, but it doesn't come from trying to be holy. It comes from experiencing God's love. You'll live more holy on accident than you ever will on purpose under the law. You'll live more holy on accident by receiving God's love than you ever could on purpose in your own strength, trying to be good, trying to keep the rules, trying to get God to please you, be pleased with you. How are we doing? So these verses, it seems to say the opposite. I want to know God, so I must keep his commandments. Listen, guys, you can live an outwardly holy life without knowing God. That was basically the Pharisees' job descriptions. There's a lot of people who look like they're living holy on the outside, but they don't know God. Here's what this verse is saying. When you come to know God, when you come to experience his love, when you see who he really is, then you will keep his commandments. You will live a holy life. Do you see the difference between trying to do something to get God to please you versus experiencing it, and then you live more right on accident? When God's love is perfected in us, Keeping his word, obeying him, living a holy life will be, be the result. Listen to verse 5 of that. But the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. So any attempt to reverse that is getting the cart before the horse. Now, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like if you wanted someone to get healed, some of you might be tempted to think, okay, well, what do I need to do to get this person healed? All right, I've got to go and do something. No, no, no. Jesus already did everything that needs to happen for you to get healed. Your job is to believe it. When you think you have to do something to pry God's hand open, to give him a reason to bless you, to prime the pump, you've stepped into religion, you've stepped into dead works, you've cut yourself off from grace, and now you're in your own strength. So I'm saying, what I'm saying today is we need to repent of that. We need to recognize God is dealing with us from an unconditional love point. Our job is to believe it and receive it. Just kind of a side note. Did you get saved before or after you believed? Before. Yeah, I know I ask trick questions all the time. You're, you have a right to be afraid, but you didn't get saved, and then you believed you were saved, right? You believed that Jesus was your Savior, you received him, you trusted in that, and then you were saved. That's the same way you're going to get healed. A lot of people, they're waiting to feel healed, and then all believe I'm healed. That's not how it works. You believe that he is your healer, and then you get healed, Same with, I mean, Andrew Womack told a crazy, um, I I just love saying this. When Andrew Womack was here the other week, oh man, I've been waiting to say that for decades. And he asked me to mentor him. No, that part never happened. So (laughs) that's terrible. When he was here, Andrew told this crazy story that he had, I'm probably going to get the numbers a little bit off, but they're they're pretty close. There was a woman in his Bible study. He was leading a Bible study, like 20 people. There was a single mom there and she didn't have any money. And she began to hear the truths that God wanted to prosper her so that she could be a blessing. We're not talking about prosperity for selfishness, right? Prosperity is not about toys and trinkets. It's about influence and impact. She begins to get this message, God wants to prosper me so so I can provide for my family and be a blessing to others. And she gets an idea for some non-toxic Play-Doh. And within one year, she has 92 employees. Sells that company, starts another company, and the company did a billion dollars in sales last year. Now listen. When did she become prosperous? Did, you know, was it after? You know, was she prosperous? And then she believed God was a prosperer. Was God was her provider, or did she believe first? And then you guys see what I'm saying here. It's believe and then receive. Doubt and do without. How we doing? All right. We didn't do anything to earn God's love, so there's nothing you can do to lose it. Now, human love isn't like that. You earn it and you lose it, right? But we're saying this is a completely different kind of love. I already said this. God loves Hitler as much as he does Billy Graham. Like, all right, well, let's try this one. God loves Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and ISIS the same. God loves the people at Fox News the same as the people at CNN. You're going too far, Jim. Jim. Let's try this one. God loves the Buckeyes the same as he does the Wolverines. Yeah, all right. Maybe I crossed the line on that one. But I think God sometimes is pictured as a police officer out in patrol looking to bust you of your sin, but he's more like the father from Finding Nemo, searching far and wide for his lost child. Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Listen, uh, when my wife nursed, you know what? Your life is all about feeding the babies. There, there, there is no other, everything gets planned around that. And it's saying, can a nursing mom forget about her baby? Impossible. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. What's he doing? He's giving us pictures of this different kind of love. Whenever I look into my imagination in the face of God, I see that he is smiling on the verge of a delighted laugh. When you picture God, what do you picture? You picture the judge on a throne with a furrowed brow? Zephaniah 3.17 says he's rejoicing over us with singing. He holds you in his arm like a little child and he lullabies over you. That's the heart of God. Listen to Song of Songs 4.9. This is the description of, the, of how we affect the heart of God. It's a description of a bride and a bridegroom. You ready for this? This is God speaking of what happens when we, when we hit his heart. For you reach into my heart. With one flash of your eyes, I am undone by your love. This is the God of the universe saying this is how you affect his heart. This is scandalous. With one flash of your eyes, I am undone by your love, my beloved, my equal, my bride. You leave me breathless. This is the heavenly Father speaking about you. I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. I'm held hostage by your love and by the graces of righteousness shining upon you. When Jesus is describing the Father, how does he do it? He says, You know what? It's kind of like a shepherd who loses a sheep, and because the sheep is so valuable, he goes on an all-out search party for this one sheep. And when he finds him, I mean, the way religion would tell you, yeah, this stupid sheep should get beat just about half to death for doing something so stupid. Do you guys remember the teaching from the 80s that actually taught that? You know, the shepherd's rod, and he would break the legs of the sheep, but then he would put it around his neck and wear it like a warm scarf on the way Like, that part's not in the Bible. That is religion that says he broke the sheep's legs, but then he would love you. Guys, that's abuse. That is Allah. That's not Yahweh. Oh, we picked on the Hindus. We picked on the Muslims. We're not picking on them. Just compare them side by side. Look at the best examples and see which one's the most attractive. Not even counting the evidence behind them, but that's a whole other thing. What is God like? He's like that shepherd who looks at those sheep full of mistakes the sheep that's upset the life of the ranch, and he takes that sheep and he does put it around his neck without the broken legs and brings it back into the fold. Jesus said, You want to know what God's like? He's kind of like a father who has had a son who has completely rejected him, go and squandered him, humiliated him, turned his back on his religion, turned his back on his family, taken the family inheritance and blown it. And what's the father like? He's like the one who's the father who's scanning the horizon, looking for the day when maybe he could see the silhouette of his son. And what does he do when he sees the son? What was the Old Testament law? The Old Testament law said when a kid does this, he gets stoned to death. And so what's dad going to do? Dad's going to protect them, knowing that there might be some of these Pharisees out there. It says when he sees the son, he runs to him. And what does he do? What did you do to me? Do you know what your mother and I did? We've been so worried about you. It says he he fell on his neck, which is a King James way of saying a bear hug. And it says he smothers him with kisses. Here's this boy who uh, didn't keep kosher. You know He's eating with the pigs, he smells like the pigs, and the father embraces him in his pigness, embraces him in his mess, smothers him with kisses. Then what does he do? He says, "Uh, go and get him some sandals. Slaves didn't have shoes. He restores him to sonship. He says, put a robe on him. It's interesting, he didn't take the son into the house and put the robe on him. He said, bring him a robe. Why? So he didn't want the, the son to be seen by the servants in that emaciated condition. When the son walked into the house, he now looked like his father. And he says, listen, you blew the inheritance, get my signet ring. That's how they conducted business. That was the Amex card. He says, get this signet ring and put it upon him. Son, you blew the inheritance, here's access to the rest. He says, you want to know what God's like? He's like that dad. Right now, I want you to understand, you are the delight of God. You are his happy thought. He loves you with a love that never ceases It's infinitely strong and passionate. Let me ask you this. Have you experienced the love of God? See, there's a difference between hearing about God's love and experiencing his love. It's like the difference between hearing a lecture on laughter and having a good belly laugh. It's the difference between, you know, reading a book about love and then getting a big, wet, sloppy kiss from somebody who's affectionate towards you. Big difference between the two. What if you... um, What if you personalize God's love and favor in your life? So, uh, one of the things that always struck me growing up was that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I was like, like, man, how did Jesus have favorites? That's just, you know, what what do you have to do to be his favorite? And then I remember reading um, uh, John uh, John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who wrote that? John wrote it! (laughs) John wrote it in the book of John. So, what on earth is going on here? What did he do? God's love is unconditional, but he had personalized that love for himself. What if you began to do that? Listen, what if you recognize, listen, guys, we are all, remember what the Bible says, there's no favoritism. But John's like, I'm his favorite, and it's in the Bible. What did he do? He's personalizing it. What if you begin to personalize the love of God? I'm his favorite. God has his picture in your wallet, and he takes it out and shows it to people. Have you ever seen parents and new kids? They're just shameless. They just think you want... That's God. John knew the secret of accessing that Jesus' undeserved, unearned favor for himself was to personalize it. I want you to just say this out loud. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. What if that was the secret to John's favor there? What would it look like for you to have that as part of your identity? Maybe you stick it as your screensaver. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. Maybe you put it up on a sticky note. But I want us to be a church that grows in the consciousness of the Father's unconditional love for you. I want you to be favor-conscious rather than sin-conscious. I tell you what, the way I grew up was the closer you get to God and his holiness, the more aware you are of your sin. Well, guess what? The more aware you are of your sin, you're never going to get close to a God you're afraid is going to smite you down any second. God wants you sun-conscious and favor-conscious, not sin-conscious. If there's sin in your life, he'll be happy to point it out to you and say, listen, there's something missing in your experience. I want to help you deal with this. Okay? So if you're full of sin, become conscious enough of sin to deal with it, but then get conscious of the Son. And only by getting conscious of the Son, it's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to ungodliness. So how are you going to ever get out of sin? By becoming Son conscious. By, by recognizing how much he loves you, it's going to give you the grace and strength to say no to that sin. You trying to clean up your act? I say this: like after you shower, no one's tempted to slip on a poopy diaper. <laughs> Once you experience the grace of God, the woman who committed adultery—remember—and she was she was caught in it, and she'd done all these things. And so, um, uh, Jesus, what did Jesus say? He, she experienced grace. Then he told her to go and sin no more. Do you think she was tempted to run back into adultery? No, she just experienced the grace of God. Because this is how we step out of sin. If you're struggling with sin. Stop trying to stop sinning. Start becoming favor-conscious. Start becoming sun conscious so that you can experience the grace of God that teaches you to say no to sin. I want us to be a church that is growing and being favor-conscious. Whoever God is to you, he will be through you. Do you want to know why there's so many angry Christians? Because they're looking in the face of an angry God. Do you want to know why there's so many loving Christians? Because they're looking in the face of who he truly is. A loving God. I'm going to read you this story. It's a true story. An Oregon pastor was the counselor at a state mental institution. When he arrived, and for the next several weeks, no one responded to him. Most of the people there could not communicate or take care of themselves physically and had no interest in the young pastor who only wanted to help them. Sometimes they even laughed at him. Then one day, the pastor felt God tell him to sit down in the middle of the room and sing Jesus Loves Me over and over for a full hour. Nothing happened. But he didn't know what else to do. So for several weeks, he just kept coming, sitting down on the floor, and singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Time went by, and one day the pastor noticed that one of the patients was singing with him. He kept going, and before too long, others joined in. In one month, 36 of the patients were moved from the critical care area of the mental hospital to a place where they were responsible for themselves because they had proved so much dramatically. Before the year was over, all but two of the patients who had listened to the pastor sing were well enough to leave the hospital. A lot of people are like, man, you you know, you need to be preaching on sin in the church. Well, these people didn't need to hear how miserable, wretched, and deprived they were. What they needed to hear was that God loved them, even in their wretched, deprived state. Guys, if you don't have Jesus, then uh, you need him. God's not impressed with your behavior. But what you need more than anything is to see who he really is and experience that love and be transformed by his love. I'm going to read you Romans 8, 31 and 39, and then we're going to close with a song. Jesus loves me. Yes, it's going to be that song. Romans 8, 31 through 39 in the Passion Translation. Just let these words wash over you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me. Who could ever stand against us? For God has provided this love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold anything else from us he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Verse 35. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us troubles pressures and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love what about persecutions deprivations dangers and death threats no for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love even though it is written all day long we face death threats for your sake god we are considered to be nothing more than sheep to this be slaughtered he's quoting the old testament there yet even in the midst of all these things we triumph over them all For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that this love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which he has lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. Somebody say amen on that one. Why don't you guys stand for a closing song? And in case you don't know, we're going to have the words on the screen. Let me tell you the words. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong." Yes, Jesus loves me. All right, you guys ready? <clears throat> no, Lord, help me. This is the worst part of this. Okay. You know, let's just let these words, the simplicity of this, maybe you learned this as a child, maybe this is a new song to you. Just let the simplicity of these words and the Holy Spirit just to your heart. Let's go. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us with a completely different kind of love. And I pray that we would be a people marked by that love. I love the words of John 15. He says, abide in this love. So Lord, as, we, as our eyes are opened up, I pray the Holy Spirit would uh, just take off the blinders. Help us to begin to relate to you out of reality that we are unconditionally loved. That when we act bad, you don't turn your back on us. It's still on full blast. And we can boldly come to that throne of grace. So what I pray that would be uh, people that live in light of your love. Lord, that would give us a whole new level of confidence, a whole new level of uh, belief that you're going to give us everything we need, wisdom uh, for decisions, power, grace, strength, patience, whatever we need. Lord, for those in here facing difficult business situations, Lord, I help them to see your raging love and your infinite resources to get them out of that hole. For those who are facing a difficult relational situation, Lord, I just thank you that you are their comfort, their strength, that they can be emotionally healthy in the middle of this. That you're going to give them wisdom and how to respond. Lord, for those who've got horrible medical reports, I speak this word over you. Jesus healed them all. I speak to your body right now, and I command it to be healed. Be made whole. Just, if you've got something in your body, whatever it is, if it's appropriate, just put your hand in that part of your body, whether it's your, your face, your head, your stomach, whatever it might be. In the name of Jesus, we release healing power. We speak to that body part, and we say, in the name of Jesus, be made whole. Disease, leave. Structures, re- reform. Reform in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for surgeries that will be canceled We just thank you for reports of tumors that have dissolved, platelet levels that are made right. God, we're not doing it. We're not working something up. We're looking at this Jesus who bore our sickness and carried our pain by your stripes. we're We're looking at what Jesus did, and we're saying it's enough. Guys, this is where we're believing and then receive. Before you feel any difference in your body, we're looking at the cross, and we're saying that's enough. In the name of Jesus, be healed. You're so good. Thank you for that love. Lord, we want to abide in that love. And Lord, I pray for an experience of that love. Lord, some may receive it as a seed. Some may receive it as a flood today. But Lord, I pray for an experience of that love beyond, that goes beyond just intellectual reasoning. Romans 5 says he sh- the, the Holy Spirit has shed the love of God abroad in your heart. So Lord, I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit right now to make these words real. I'm just sensing there's people in here, you are just disappointed. God has not come through the way you thought he should have. Things, and for whatever reason, Well, here's the thing, good news, guys. It's not his fault, and we can come to him fresh. I, I just see people in here, you prayed and it didn't happen. Lord, I pray for a grace right now to push past your questions and to experience your love and your goodness. Guys, that you'll never be disappointed in heaven. So this is our privilege in the midst of disappointment to look him fresh in the face and say, "God, you're still good. You still have a plan. Your promises are still true." So Lord, I pray for a grace to just uh, to just to be strengthened again. Thank you, Lord. As we're getting ready to, oh, you got something, babe? Come on up. Yeah, this will probably be a good time. Yeah, so when I was praying for somebody this morning, um, I got the word to renovate. And, um, and I just uh, want you, like, if you, everybody could just close your eyes and just open your hands like you're, like, just receiving something from God. And um, I just feel like God wants to renovate um, us today. And whether that is spirit, body, soul, whatever that is on the inside, there's some things. And um, <clears throat> so, first of all, I just want you to say, God, renovate me. God, renovate me. I give you permission. Renovate everything, Renovate everything that needs to be renovated. Needs to be renovated. Tear, down everything Tear down everything that needs to be remade, that needs to be remade. reformed, reformed. And, refocused. and refocused in the name of Jesus. <laughs>